right where you are is the best place for you to use the influence that God has given to you. I love watching the story of this Air Force pilot who incidentally is at Randolph just down the road outside of San Antonio, living out his life, doing his job, but not letting his job be a barrier to his sense of calling, his purpose as to what he is really meant to do, becoming, helping people become more of who they were meant to be. So if the military, with all its many, many rules and regulations, is not a barrier to that guy's influence, what's your excuse? That's really where we're digging into today in this series, Everyone Has Influence. We've been looking at this profound truth that's really easy for every one of us to overlook. We, each of us, has been granted a a sphere of influence. You have been given a zone, a place in life where you can create change in other people's lives, either for good or bad. That's how influence works. But leaders among us are those who recognize that there is that influence and then they intentionally wield that influence. They get better and use it intentionally to help move people along. And a true leader really does grow in that ability. They develop it, they hone it, they expand their capacity to influence other people because they realize what a powerful impact it has on the world around us. So in that sense, all of us lead. Or at least we have the capacity to lead in some area of our life. Really. Is that like wishful thinking? Is that a pastor up here trying really hard to work a point and like kind of drive it home and make, hey, maybe this is kind of a pump you up message. We'll send you out. Everybody is really a leader. You know, is that really? If you're finding that point kind of straining, like straining credibility, I totally get it. Can I, can I just make a confession? I didn't always believe what I just told you, okay? In fact, I really had no identification with leadership or influence for the majority of my life. In fact, for most of my life, I did my best not to lead anything if I could actually avoid it. I was born a middle child, which in my case meant that I became desperate to please everyone around me. I tried to fit in when, no matter what crowd I was in. I would try to like, kind of augment myself to, to, to please you or to fit in or to, to belong somewhere. Uh, you know, like when I was in high school, I wasn't like a part of one clique. I was trying to get in with all of them. And I was in high school in like the 90s. So that meant there was a season where I was all like plaid shirt grunge, like kind of rocker and everything like that. And then there was a little while later where I had the Jinko huge jeans, like skater pants. I had like bleach blonde hair when the whole boy band thing was going. I mean, all of it. And my, my team actually, when they heard this, they're like, you have got to show pictures but we have destroyed all of those pictures, okay? Like, they don't exist anymore. But that was me. I was blending in with every crowd that I could find. In my mind, a leader was a president of something. They were the CEO. They were the general whatever. You know, they're this strong decision maker type. You know, they just sort of like, I don't care what anybody else thinks. Come on, troops, let's take the next hill. That was not me. I was not interested in hills, decisions, or troops. Like, I had no, like, bearing on my life whatsoever. I was really glad to leave that to everybody else. The label leader just didn't apply to me at all. And so, like, I was an unlikely leader, if there ever was one, okay? But then I encountered Jesus. May 11th, 1999, I see who he really is, and I surrender the control of my life over to him. 
And in the wake after that, I begin to notice that God starts putting me in uncomfortable situations where people start seeking me out for help, for clarity, for, you know, kind of direction and different things. And despite my best intentions, I had been given influence. Like I had tried so hard never to be in this spot, but that's where God put me. But even then, even as I started to see, okay, I have a measure of influence, I really struggled with the label leader. It was like, if I ever tried it, it just felt like clothes that didn't fit, it didn't wear right on me. Until one day, a mentor of mine described what leadership actually was using two words I had never put together before. He redefined this concept of leadership and helped me see what I was supposed to be doing with the influence that had been given me. And the two words are really simple, leaders lift. Leaders lift. The reason this, this concept stuck out to me so much is that, I don't know if you've noticed, our world has a strong sense of gravity, and I don't just mean physical. Things are prone to sink. They are prone to degrade and spiral downward. Our vision, our sense of purpose, effectiveness over time just sinks down. Our sense of passion about life, the quality of the relationships that we have, all of this stuff it just sort of degrades over time. In physics, uh, if you're more of a science person, this is called entropy. Everything just falls apart over time. Everything sags, everything droops, all of it over time. But not just physical stuff, life itself has this downward trend. But leaders who stand with God join him in lifting that trend. This sort of inevitable, you know, sort of slide downwards. Leaders join God in lifting that trend. And they do it in a lot of different ways. They do it in how they choose their attitude today. They, they do it in how they choose to speak to people, what they choose to say, what they choose not to say. How they care for people, like you saw in that video just a few moments ago. How they prioritize their time and what matters to them most. What they sacrifice for. In all these different ways, leaders lift with God. Now, here's the thing. There are no perfect leaders out there, not even close but leaders with God use their influence to lift when everyone else is consent, content to just sort of drift along and sink over time. The leader with God lifts. And suddenly that made sense to me because I was not a general, I was not a CEO, I probably was never going to be president of anything, but I could not stand the thought of watching the world around me sink while I did nothing. Couldn't stand that. I saw the wreckage in too many people's lives. And I deeply wanted to be that lifter right where I was, no matter who I was with. Yeah, I can jump in. I can help lift somewhere, which led me to a question. Would I intentionally develop that influence? No matter what I have of it, would I develop it and use it wherever I was? Would I intentionally use that measure of influence? Rather than go with the flow, would I lift wherever it was needed? Well, that was me. What about you? What about you as you walk in here today? Maybe you're like a, a natural born leader. You're watching from somewhere around the world. Well, then just have patience with the rest of us, okay? Because we're not all that quick to get it. For some of you, though, can totally resonate with this whole unlikely leader idea. And unlikely leaders like us tend to have a, a list of reasons why they can't or why they shouldn't lead. Any of these resonate with you? Number one, I don't have any authority. This is a great line that unlikely leaders hide behind. I don't have any authority. This is often nothing more than a bad case of the I'm just as. Have you ever had the I'm just as? I'm just, I'm just a fast food worker. I'm just a student. 
I'm just a mid-level manager, okay? Don't expect too much from me. I'm not going to change the world. I'm just a, I'm just a, I'm just a. We think that those who walk in that authority, the people who are in charge, they're the leaders, and I hope so, okay? I hope they really are leaders in their heart, not just in the position. But today we're not talking about positions of authority. We are talking about wielding our influence intentionally, and that has never been limited by title, rank, or position. Those who wield their influence intentionally. You can lead right where you are. You don't need to be promoted anymore. You can use your influence right where you are with those you do have influence with. You could be a stay-at-home mom. You have a measure of influence. You could be a mechanic. You can be a secretary. You can be whatever. But you're not just a. There is a real significance that go with that because God has given you influence, which makes you far more than just anything. And that sphere of influence, right where you are. Well, that's one line. Uh, Number two, maybe something like this. I'm not like them. I'm not like them. Unlikely leaders hide behind that one all the time. That is just the comparison game. I'm not like them. Unlikely leaders are quick to point to other people that fit some sort of leadership stereotype, and then they count themselves out kind of like I did. They have this picture of here's what a leader looks like. Maybe they're this general CEO type, or, or maybe for you, it's somebody that has been closer to you, like a mentor or a coach that you had, or parent, somebody that you just can never seem to measure up to. So when you hear leader, you go, that's not me at all. You look at your life and you see something far too ordinary. Unlikely leaders point to this all the time. They say, I'm just an ordinary person. I'm, just, you know, I, I'm too insignificant to make any big difference in life. I pay bills. I buy groceries. I sit in traffic, okay? That's not this life of extraordinary influence that you're describing. They never realize, though, that leadership styles are as unique as thumbprints. They come in all different shapes and sizes. You don't have to be a certain kind of person to lead, It's all about how intentionally you use the influence you do have. Or maybe this this one resonates with you a little bit more. You don't know what I've done. You don't know me. Sometimes unlikely leaders actually have a track record of influencing people really well. It just happened to be in the wrong direction. And it led to a lot of chaos in other people's lives. They look at their life and they see damage in their rearview mirror. They see, you know, values. They sort of breeze past at some point in life. They see how they helped other people do that. They see destructive patterns that they pulled other people into. Some of us look in the rearview mirror and see criminal behavior and people who joined in that with us. And they're like, you know what? I am an unlikely leader, okay? Some of you, you look at your life and you see failure, you see shame, you see disqualification. And you think there's no way. There's no way I'm going to be given any influence to lead in any positive direction. But a quick glance at the Bible would tell you that God has a remarkable track record of drawing in and utilizing people with a rap sheet, okay? It happens all the time in these scriptures. It's not any limiting factor to him. All he knows is that if you'll look to him instead of looking to yourself in the past, he can redirect your influence to remarkable ends. It's happened before. Now, maybe that's one of your lines, maybe you've got another one, but if I've described one of your reasons why you can't lead, then no, I picked them out because I've used every one of them, okay? Like, I've been there. I've, I've, I've had those statements in my mouth. 
More than that, we are not alone. Like I said, there's a lot of people here in the scriptures that would be unlikely leaders. They would absolutely qualify. Now they have this name that's more legendary. It's not so like relatable anymore, but that's often where their journey started. They started out with so many of the same disqualifications or the same unlikely leadership statements running through their head. And yet they became a person of profound influence. So here's what I want to do. I just want to introduce you to a few of them, maybe ones you don't even know that well, and point to the lifting that they were doing with God that ultimately changed their world and ours. So the first one, if you, you, the scriptures will be on the screen, but if you've got a Bible app or something like that, feel free to follow along. The first one is found in the book of Ruth. Now, Ruth is one of the shortest books in the entire Old Testament, and it bears one, the name of one of the most unlikely leaders in history, this woman, Ruth. Now, most of the Old Testament, if you don't know this, it centers around the Jewish people, right? But Ruth was not Jewish. She was a foreigner, and yet she ends up in the Old Testament, the Jewish Bible. She was a Moabite, uh, which we don't have too many of them anymore these days, but she's this Moabite and marries into this Jewish family. Now, things at first seem well, but then over time, her husband dies unexpectedly, and leaves Ruth, this foreigner, alone with this mother-in-law, Naomi, this Jewish woman. Now, right about then, Naomi is quick, according to the custom of the time, to tell Ruth, move on. You know what? I'm sorry. My son has died. I know this is very unexpected. You You should go back home. You should go back to your people. Start a new life. Marry another man. Build a family. Forget this whole tragedy. And Ruth would have been well within her rights to do that, but she doesn't budge. Here she is with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and she refuses to leave. There's this fierce sense of loyalty and devotion that come roaring out of Ruth when even the suggestion comes about. Here's what, here's it, it says in Ruth chapter one. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. I think Naomi's a little scared, like, okay. (laughs) By the way, I can only see a few of you husbands out there, but you just got gold about, hey, how did did she shut her mother-in-law up? How did that work? Oh, (laughs) Bible's full of all sorts of tips. Anyway, (laughs) I love this though. Ruth doesn't leave her when she has the right to. She serves and cares for this elderly Naomi, scraping together food, making ends meet. And then over time, she comes in contact with one of Naomi's relatives, this guy named Boaz, and he's utterly impressed with Ruth. He sees her work ethic, he sees her compassion, he sees her devotion. He even goes out of his way to help protect Ruth because she is laboring in one of his fields. He arranges protection for her. She asks him why at one point, and Boaz says this. Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth has influence, but how is she using it? What is she lifting as a leader? Leaders lift character. Leaders lift character. Ruth has chosen the high road, the way of integrity, loyalty, devotion, compassion, love. 
It's not the easy way, by the way. The easier way would have been to look out for herself, go home, and build her own life. To sort of look at Naomi and say, hey, I'm sorry for how things turned out, but I got to go. That, no one would have faulted Ruth for that. That was the right thing to do, right? Not to Ruth. She didn't do it. She chose to lift character in the sphere of influence that she did have. She didn't have position or rank or title. She just had this one little tragic life and she chose to exert the influence she had. She didn't let the lies we discussed earlier, like I don't have any authority or I'm not like them. She didn't let that limit or define her. And not only did it obviously change Naomi's life, but other people took notice, like Boaz. She exerted influence through her character. Other people saw it and blessing. If you follow the story, it came to her way because of it. Can I say this to you? Our world is in desperate need of leaders who will lift character in what they do and how they do it. Guys, I don't, need, I don't think we need to spend too much time saying we are inundated with influencers in our world right now. We've got a media-soaked, Instagram-saturated world where everybody is a celebrity these days. We, you can take your pick of influencers that are out there, but we are desperately short of people on character who have influence. People we can trust People of integrity, people who serve other people rather than demand to be served all the time. In Philippians, the Apostle Paul writes this to the church there, live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. You, right where you are, could choose the path of character. You could lift character, not perfectly, but intentionally. And Philippians says when it happens, it lights up the world, the world around you. It's like the darkness gets sort of pushed back because of the light of your life, your integrity, your character. And right where you are, you can do this. You don't need any special platform. You can use what's already been given to you, your office, your home, your neighborhood, your social media voice. Imagine bringing character into that world. It would shine like a bright light in a dark place. And not only will you impact the lives of the people around you for good, other people will take notice and blessing often comes your way. It, just to kind of cap off Ruth's story, it turns out she was the great-grandmother to King David. David and Goliath, King David. And then ultimately ended up in the lineage of Jesus Christ himself. That's Ruth. Using the influence she had to lift character. Now, that's Ruth, all right? If you want to find a whole other person in the Bible that would qualify as an unlikely leader, you're going to look to a guy named Joseph, whose story can be found in the book of Genesis. Now, for those of you who may be familiar with Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, you may be, you may be aware of that story of how that ends. Because Joseph turned out to be an astounding leader in the end. He was entrusted with the entire responsibility, like the administrative responsibilities of the entire Egyptian government at the time, and pretty much single-handedly uh, saved countless people's lives by stockpiling food for a famine that no one else saw coming. He did remarkable things with the influence that was given to him. But that's the end of Joseph's story. That's the part everybody knows. The beginning... He is a rather unlikely leader when you look at it. His time in Egypt starts as a slave. He was betrayed by his own family, sold on the block to an Egyptian official. 
That's how Joseph's story started. This guy named Potiphar bought him, and he was property. Far from home, enslaved, Joseph was nobody. But almost immediately, there's something different about how Joseph uses his influence, even as a slave. Check this out, Genesis 39. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All of his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. This this is pretty head-spinning, especially you didn't live in the culture then, but when as a slave, Joseph is basically taking charge of everything that Potiphar owns, that's influence, people, okay? Like, as when a slave gets control over the entire master's house, that's influence. So how did Joseph do it? Obviously, God was in there, but what was Joseph doing the lifting on? Leaders lift character, I mean, uh, competence. We already talked about character. Leaders lift competence, Leaders lift competence. Joseph, with God's help, worked faithfully and diligently, stewarding well what was given to him. I think Joseph, when he showed up on the job, attacked whatever he did. Like, I'm a, whatever this is in front of me, even as a slave, I'm going to show up with the desire to bring excellence to it. He worked at his responsibilities, and he got better at them. And as a result... It was natural for Potiphar to entrust him with more. Over time, his competency just kept growing. How are you doing with competence right where you are? How are you doing with competence? Do you show up in your home, in your office, at your class, on the field, wherever you are, with that kind of attitude that Joseph had? Whatever I'm doing right now, whatever I've absorbed in, my desire is to bring excellence to it. Is that how you show up? Do you bring competence to it? So many of us, because we're so busy, I think, a lot of times, so many of us see the things that we're doing as beneath us, as unimportant or just a distraction to what I really want to be doing. But to a follower of Christ, actually, there are no small jobs Again, the Apostle Paul writing in the book of Colossians says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Incidentally, by the way, there in the book of Colossians, that was written from the Apostle Paul to slaves, just like Joseph. Now, is the Apostle Paul endorsing slavery there? Hey, that's a good thing? No. In fact, in another letter, he says, if you can get out of it, go for it. But here's the point. No matter what position you are, even slavery, that's not a limit to you exerting the influence you have by growing in competence. It's not the limiting factor to your influence. So whether it's flipping burgers, performing surgery, changing diapers or taking an exam or whatever it is that you do, your influence can be exerted by doing it with excellence and striving to get better at it all the time. 
Because if Christ followers take the Apostle Paul's words seriously, then there should be a Christ follower out there that is lifting wherever they are, competence. Christ followers should be the best bakers, construction workers, mechanics, nurses, IT professionals, government workers, whatever you got, whatever you got going on, every sector could be getting better because a Christ-following leader is there lifting. That's the possible future. That's shining like stars in a dark world. And I'm not just talking about pie in the sky because you're like, okay, this was ancient times, right? No, no, no. At a recent Global Leadership Summit, the conference that we've been telling you guys about, the one where actually I saw the story about that Air Force pilot, I also discovered uh, the story of Alan Catherine Kajina of Uganda. 20 years ago, Uganda was a geopolitical mess of instability and corruption. Leading the way in that mess was the Uganda Revenue Authority, their equivalent of the IRS. It was known for corruption, unfair practices, perpetuating poverty in the Ugandan people. It was a dark place and a dark organization. And as a worker in the URA, Kajina consistently pushed for fair treatment, integrity, increasing effectiveness in the way they actually practice their business. And as a Christ follower, she honestly struggled with how to be the person God was calling her to be in such a broken environment. How can I make any difference in this mess? But over time, she realized that her position wasn't a bar to her influence at all. In fact, in a meeting with her pastor, her pastor looked at her and just said, you are a God-anointed tax collector. Is that even possible? Like, I didn't... Over time, her diligence did lead to a position of authority, and she was able to institute more wide-sweeping reforms, some radical ones. How about this at your workplace? At one point, she laid off everyone in the entire organization for two months to let them think about if they still wanted this job. Then she invited them to reapply for their former job just to help dislodge this sense of entitlement and to help raise the value of competence at what we do. She listened to the people they were serving. She cut down wait time. She addressed inefficiencies. She pushed for excellence in the URA's operations. And years later, the URA has experienced a revenue increase of over 300% through her influence. And now she is an employer that other organizations in Uganda try to steal good people from. It's amazing to see what God does when somebody lifts. It's amazing to see what an anointed tax collector actually looks like. It can happen when leaders lift competence right where they are. But the last leader I want to introduce you to is another disciple of Jesus named Barnabas. Barnabas is one of the early Christ followers. He first shows up in the book of Acts. Now, here's what you want to know about Barnabas. He's not one of the main leaders. He's not an apostle. He's just a really good guy. In fact, his name Barnabas was a nickname they gave him. It means son of encouragement which means this guy is a positive, you know, optimistic person. We see in other parts that he's really generous, so he's a good guy, probably a little gullible, nice guy, positive, half glass full uh, sort of guy. But he's not necessarily a big influencer in the church. That is, until this guy, that incidentally was one of Barnabas' enemies, an anti-Christian, hate-filled guy named Saul, has this unexpected encounter with Jesus out on a road to Damascus, seemingly unrelated to Barnabas' life. This Saul guy gets transformed from the inside out, and despite being a persecutor of Christians, 
he actually takes up the cause and starts preaching about Jesus. He even tries to go to Jerusalem, the epicenter of Christianity at the time, to get to know the founders of the church, the apostles. But no one buys it. No one thinks Saul is legit. They think he's conning everyone, trying to lure the Christians out into the open, and then he's going to get them. Except Barnabas. This is what the book of Acts says in chapter 9. When he, meaning Saul, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Barnabas used what influence he had to vouch for Saul, who incidentally later became Paul, the guy who wrote a lot of the New Testament. He was just this former enemy who suddenly seemed to have a change of heart. When no one else would even get close to Saul, Barnabas was the first one to cross the line. He was the first one to make himself vulnerable, to listen to Saul's story, and then he went to the mat for him. Now, because we're not there in first century Jerusalem, I don't think I can adequately convey how gutsy this was for Barnabas to do. One, by meeting with Saul, the guy who used to haul Christians off to jail and try to get them killed, he was taking his own life in his hands to say, I'm going to meet with you. And more than that, when he brought Saul to all the leaders of the church, he was really putting everybody else at risk. This was incredibly risky for Barnabas. But leaders lift courage. Leaders lift courage. Right where they are and whatever measure of influence they have, they lift courage. And I want to tell you something. I promise you this. Someday soon, maybe tomorrow, who knows, there will be a need for courage right where you are. It's coming. Courage to speak up against what you know is wrong. Guts to step across the line just like Barnabas did. Resolve to do the right thing even when everyone else is going to take a pass. Boldness to stand up for someone whom nobody else is. Bravery to resist the voice of fear yelling in your ear. You have a sphere of influence. But without lifting courage, that sphere is prone to sink. Honestly, I don't think you have to look much further than the recent movement that has swept across our nation. Countless women who have su silently suffered sexual abuse at the hands of men in power have been inspired by the courage of a few brave women who took the risk to speak out, to confront the patterns of abuse, and to work towards justice. It takes unbelievable courage to make that stand, but that courage has created influence and has given courage to other women. It's unbelievably difficult and messy if you haven't noticed. But their courage is lifting our world by breaking the hold of evil in high places, by bringing truth to light and opening the door for legitimate healing in time. And honestly, that's been a pretty highly publicized movement, and rightly so. But sometimes the greatest acts of courage aren't breaking news headlines. In fact, most of them aren't. But when each of us will set aside our own comfort or convenience to lift 
courage in our world? Well, then we watch a lot of little acts of courage combine into one giant impact in our world. Friends, our world needs lifters, people who lift character and competence, courage. And even if you've never considered yourself a leader, believe me, you're in good company, you do have influence right where you are. Everyone does. What if each of us took responsibility for whatever measure of it we had? I believe remarkable things can happen among us when ordinary people partner with an extraordinary God. We don't have to settle for sinking all the time. When we join God in the lifting, our world can rise life by life by life. As we close, our team wanted to use our influence with you for just a minute. We wanted to both challenge and inspire you with this song. So here's what I want to ask. Would you please just stay seated and listen? Just a couple moments of influence in your direction. And even if you're an unlikely leader like I was, I believe God is actively calling you to offer up your influence to him, to join him in his lifting purposes in the world.